Welcome to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. Whether this is your first time listening or you've tuned in to every episode, welcome and thank you for listening. If you enjoy the content I create, I ask that you support the show by making a small donation. All you have to do is click on the support the show link in the show notes and donate. If you donate, you'll get a shout out in a future episode and I thank you in advance. You can follow this podcast on Facebook at Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Instagram, Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines, and also on TikTok at Beyond the Lines Podcast. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, you can email me at btlpodcast213 at gmail.com. This episode is sponsored by Davis Vending. If you're in the Tampa area and you need a snack or drink machine for your employees or customers, contact Davis Vending at 813-530-6763 or email them at davisvending71 at gmail.com. Davis Vending offers great service and affordable prices. For all your vending needs, contact Davis Vending. This is episode number 63, and today I will be discussing living and playing sports with type 1 diabetes. So now, let's meet this episode's guest. My guest is a board-certified pediatric endocrinologist, a member of the Board of Directors of Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, specializes in diabetes and metabolism, and also the CEO and co-founder of the endocrine company in Orlando. Dr. Pauly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, so today we're going to talk about living and playing sports with type 1 diabetes. But before we do, talk a little bit about what it is you do at the Endocrine Company. Yes, great. Thank you. Well, the Endocrine Co. is a direct subspecialty clinic, which is sort of like a concierge level of practice where it's a personalized care I take care of children and young adults with endocrine issues, so any kind of hormone disorders, type 1 diabetes, thyroid issues, puberty disorders, growth hormone deficiency is my bread and butter, essentially. Okay. All right. Well, if anyone is qualified to talk about these, it's certainly you. So I'm glad to have you on the show to talk about this. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's get into it. First of all, what is type 1 diabetes? So type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition, essentially where your body for a reason that we don't quite understand yet, starts attacking the cells that make insulin in the pancreas. And these are called the beta cells. We know it's an autoimmune response. So that means your own body's attacking your beta cells. And as a consequence of that, they stop working and making insulin, resulting in having really high levels of blood sugar. So what happens with that is that the person, the boy, the girl, will start having excess urination. And the reason for that is because the body is such a perfect machinery that after your blood sugar goes over 180, which is really high. So just to give you an idea, we aim for less than 100 when we first wake up in the morning. Okay. So having levels greater than 180, the kidney starts filtering all that sugar in the urine as a rescue. And water loves sugar. So water follows sugar and they start peeing a lot, peeing a lot, and they start getting dehydrated. So then they get thirsty and then becomes a cycle. They drink a lot, they pee a lot, they drink a lot, they pee a lot. But still, even if that blood sugar is present, 
because there's not enough insulin, which by the way, the main function of insulin is to bring that sugar inside of the cells to make, turn it into energy. So even though there's a ton of sugar in the bloodstream, because there's no key, there's no insulin, the body's like, okay, well, I still need energy. So it starts burning other sources for energy. So it burns fat and burns muscle. And that's how they get a lot of weight loss. A lot of these kids present with like 15, 20 pounds weight loss, drinking and peeing their brains out, and nobody knows what's happening. And it's essentially diabetes. Okay. Now we've all heard of type one and type two. What is the difference between the two? So type one, it's going to be that autoimmune presentation that I described. So your body does not like your pancreas for essentially one reason that we don't know and start attacking it. Type two has to do more with lifestyle. So these patients typically tend to have like a long-term history of overweight, poor choices in terms of meal, lack of exercise and all of that. So that tends to be the predisposing factors that if we don't correct that, you know, that's mainly the culprit. If we don't correct it, then it progresses to become type two diabetes. So in a way we can delay it or prevent it. That being said, there's also genetic factors on type two that make some people so much more predisposed to have it. Okay, and you mentioned urination and also being thirsty. What are some of the other signs and symptoms of type 1 diabetes? So you can have significant fatigue. So you can have very unspecific symptoms too. So we said freaking urination, excessive thirst, just feeling super tired, weight loss. A child that has been potty trained and all of a sudden is having accidents in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. or waking up at night two, three, four, five times Having a water bottle that have to be drink every 10 minutes, it's not normal. And a lot of parents, when they come to clinic, they're like, well, you know, he was drinking a lot of water. I didn't really think anything of it. I thought that was great. And I'm like, yeah, bottle of water every 10 minutes. I mean, it's good, but it's really not. Right. Other kids actually can be presenting with any other specific things. Like a lot of times it can be after a viral infection and that kind of like pushes them off the edge. And the worst presentation is what we call diabetes ketoacidosis. And usually they present so much more dramatic. So the presentation obviously is going to have the urination, the thirst, the weight loss, but also from the constant burning of the fatty tissue, there's a byproduct that gets released from that oxidation. And those are called ketones. These are acids essentially, which in small amounts, it's okay. The body's able to filter in them out and not a big deal, but in big concentrations of these acids, the person's going to get really sick. They're going to start puking a lot and having shift of fluid. And essentially these kids end up in the ICU is so much more dangerous. Okay. And I know that juveniles or adolescents tend to be more susceptible to type 1, but can they also get type 2 diabetes? Absolutely. In fact, we are seeing in the past type 2 diabetes was considered an adult condition. In type 1 was a pediatrics condition. So in the past, the classification was juvenile diabetes in adulthood diabetes. And now my youngest type 2 is 8 years old currently. Wow. Yeah. And we have for type 1, we have like what we call a bimodal peak. So we have them like the toddlers and teenage years are like the two big groups when they get diagnosed. But I mean, you can be now in your 40s and be diagnosed with type 1. So the spectrum is just getting wider. Wow, that's amazing. So would you say the average age is somewhere in that teenage range when it comes to type 1 diabetes? 
Yeah, that will be like the two main peaks, like toddlerhood and then teenage years. And there's so many theories that happens with type one, illness being one of them. And if you think about toddlers are getting sick constantly, so that can be potential trigger. And then in puberty, there's the thought of it's a natural time in life when you have more demands for insulin. And then if you are deficient to begin with, you can just cross that line a little sooner, but it's all like autoimmune based. So again, there's so many theories. Okay. Now let's just say a kid is playing their particular sport and they're complaining about being thirsty, tired. Uh, they have to go to the bathroom. How is a parent or a coach to know whether they're just tired and thirsty because of their sport or they're suffering from type one diabetes symptoms? So I'll say, and I tell this to any parent and friends, because I get phone calls from friends all the time about that. But like, if you have the minimum concern, let's just get a finger prick. We can get an instant answer right there and then. If we have a blood sugar that is a random blood sugar over 200, that essentially suggests diagnosis of diabetes. So if the doubt is there, prick the finger. Gotcha. And that leads me to my next question. How is diabetes diagnosed? Great. And so it will be depending on a fasting or not fasting state. So with a fasting blood sugar greater than 126, that's in diabetes range, a random blood sugar greater than 200. And also we have this other marker called hemoglobin A1C, which is a metric that helps us determine how high your blood sugars have been for the last three months. So an A1C greater than 6.4 also is suggestive of diabetes. And this is obviously along with the symptoms. Okay. Now, what medications are available to treat type 1 diabetes, especially for athletes who may need some medications during their sport? So with type 1 diabetes, we're just talking about insulin. So what we are trying to do is to replace the hormone that they are no longer making. And so The technology in diabetes has progressed a lot, and especially in the last 10 years. And now we have different fashions of delivering insulin. So we can do it with syringes. We can now do it with pens, which basically you dial the dose and inject the amount of insulin that they need. But also we have microinfusers or what we call insulin pumps, which is a device that kind of I always say it looks like a pager, depending on how old you are. You may may not know what a pager is, but it looks kind of like half the size of an iPhone. And that device allows the person to receive continuous infusion of insulin. Okay. And now we know that athletes of all ages across all sports and all levels of sports, there's athletes that have type 1 diabetes and they do well and they perform well in their sport. What are some of the precautions or proactive things they need to do because they have type 1 diabetes that someone who doesn't have type 1 diabetes doesn't have to do? Yeah, and so it just involves so much planning. Like to my athletes, I mean, obviously every athlete gets so much credit, right? Because it's so much work and dedication and discipline. But I feel in my eyes, a type 1 diabetic athlete deserves so much more credit because it involves all the hard work that a non-type 1 athlete has, but also all the planning. Just to give you an example, they need to be considering what my blood sugar is before I work out, while I'm working out, after I'm working out. And what do they need to do? They need to be adjusting their insulin doses, going up or down. They need to be having snacks. A lot of times they don't even want to eat. Right. You know how awful it is to eat when you don't want to eat? It's the worst feeling. Right. And a lot of times they have to do it just because the blood sugar is low 
and they literally need it for survival. There's also medications that we have to use in situations where the blood sugar is so low that they may become incoherent, unconscious. So it's more of an emergency measure, but that can be given as an injection or as a nasal spray, and that is called glucagon. So I always like to advise my athletes that the coaches or any teachers or anybody involved in their athletic team needs to know kind of like when to intervene. So everybody needs to be in tandem with that athlete situation. And that's just for the low blood sugars. When we have concerns about high blood sugars, then it will be the opposite. You will be either giving more insulin or doing what we call a temporary basal, where we tell the pump for this amount of hours, I want you to deliver this much more percentage up or down. I mean, it's just so much more proactive, your care, when we have the use of the pumps, just because we have a little bit more control. That being said, it doesn't mean the highs are not going to happen, the lows are not going to happen. It just give you a little bit more tools, but certainly it's not easy. Right. And you mentioned something about the coaches and there's a collective group to try to manage this. And that leads me to my next question. In your experience, I know that parents are obviously well-tuned and, and know what to do you know, in these circumstances. How educated are coaches when it comes to managing type 1 or type 2 diabetes with their athletes? I feel like it varies a lot. It, the spectrum is really broad. I have coaches that are super in tune of what everything's happening. It all depends on like their previous experience. In fact, in that conference where we met, I met a coach and he was giving me his experience about a, a student that he had. And he was like, I was so on it. And I was following his blood sugars because with these devices, the one that senses the blood sugar is called a continuous glucose a monitoring the information goes to the patient, but up to five people can have access to that information. So say that I'm the athlete, I'm running around and you're my coach. You can be on the sidelines and you know the tracing of my blood sugars, which helps us to be more proactive and just have a much more proactive approach. So if you notice that blood sugars are starting to climb, you can call me back. Hey, let's let's do this. Let's have a snack. You know what I mean? So yes. it helps you prep better for what's coming. Nice. Now, is there a cure for type 1 diabetes? Unfortunately, not yet. And I really hope that happens before I retire. <laughs> There's a lot of things that JDRF and a lot of research happening, which is inspiring and it makes you just hopeful for the future. There are things that are coming in the pipeline, like smart insulin, which is an insulin that is going to be injected either once a week or once a day. And autonomously, depending on what the blood sugar of the person is, it will turn on or off, which is phenomenal because they wouldn't have to be doing as much. There's also things like transplantation of islet cells, beta cells that they turn into mature cells. Actually, I was just reading an article yesterday because in the past we have had to use immunosuppressive therapy to avoid your body to attack these new cells. Yes. But there's this new pocket that they're studying. There's going to be a trial opening in the summer, actually, where these pockets are protecting these cells. So it's just exciting what's coming. Awesome. Now, finally, what advice do you have for parents, coaches, and even athletes when it comes to dealing with type 1 diabetes? Well, I always like to tell them exercise is super important. I feel like I don't really have to address that a lot in this audience, right? Like your audience knows so much about exercise, which is phenomenal, but it's great for blood sugar control. It's great to avoid complications. 
it helps them use less insulin. So insulin is anabolic. So of course they need it. We all need it. But if you use more than what you need, the body stores that in weight. So it can make them prone to weight gain. And this generation does not like weight gain. (laughs) (laughs) So that is one thing. The other thing I always like to remind patients and families too, is diabetes is a constant juggling act. It's hard. And a lot of times they get burned out and they need a break. And that's why we need to be there for them. After two, three years of living with a chronic condition, I always like to talk about counseling, even if they feel like they're okay. Living with a chronic condition, it's almost like a full-time job that you didn't apply to. And it's super important for the athletes to have their medical team on alert and know when to intervene. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Pauly, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing that information. That was some great information. I know that our audience is going to really benefit from that information. So how can families follow and reach out to you if they need to? Yes. Awesome. So I'm in Orlando, Florida, and I am at the Endocrine Co. And you can find me at number 407-537-7066. Or you can also follow me on social media, on Instagram, at the Endocrine Co. And same with Facebook. Dr. Pauly, again, thank you so much for coming on and taking out your time to share that information with us. I really appreciate it. I love it. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Pauly for joining the show. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you share it with a friend. If you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe. Please tune in for the next episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care.